All right, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for another opportunity to uh, gather here together, even though virtually, Lord, we say thank you for uh, bringing us into a new month. This is the month of February, and this is our first, um, first meeting this month. Lord, we ask that you teach us your word by yourself. We ask for the inspiration of your spirits. I ask, O oh Lord, for utterance to communicate your word in simplicity, but with power in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for everyone that listens to this um, teaching, both live or, you know, later on listening, uh, listening to the recording. We ask that the impression of your spirit be upon their hearts, that you teach them your word um, yourself and let their lives never remain the same in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so today we are starting a new <clears throat> we are starting a new conversation. Okay, we're starting a new conversation. Um and we are we are we titled these seven signs of a healthy spirit. All right. Um, and that's what we're going to look at, hope by the grace of God, all through the month of February. All right. And February has we have four sets four Tuesdays, sorry, in this month. Um, and as our custom is, we'll you know, the last Tuesday will be for prayer. So essentially we have three three um Tuesdays to cover all of these. So we're going to do our best to cover all these three. Um, but certainly we wouldn't rush anything. All right. But before we even, you know, dive into listing all of these things, I want us to start by even understanding why we have to, why this is important for us. You know, uh, my brother is a medical doctor. When you go to the hospital, or in fact, sometimes, you know how family members are, they'll call doctors if they, if they have a relation, relation that is a doctor, uh, whether a brother, a sister, a cousin or anything, right? Typically, just call and say, "Oh, I I have I'm feeling headache. Uh, what should I take? Or what what med medication will you will you suggest?" Um, or they'll say, "Oh, my my little finger is aching me. It's aching me for three days. What's the problem? You know, and or whether you know whether I go to the, to the hospital or not, right? Or just speaking with a doctor. One of the first things the doctor would would do is you ask you questions. Uh, say, okay, do you feel um do you feel feverish or do you feel ache at your back when you breathe does it hurt you and all the doctors doctor begin ask, begins to ask all those questions what the doctor is looking for essentially are signs or what they call symptoms and if one two three or four things can um if four things check out then the doctor can say oh that this is likely what is wrong with you go for a further test all right, or go for a particular test or an x-ray or whatever it may be, an MRI, as the case may be. But essentially, the doctor asks those questions to examine your body, examine your experiences, and based on the, your response and the report from your experiences, the doctor can deduce what is likely wrong with you. And depending on what the situation is, he may be able to prescribe a medication right away or might even recommend for further tests and before treatment or, you know, um, medication is being being, uh, being administered. So what we are doing is we're doing that checkup. The, the essence of this Bible study uh, and this whole series, right, is to do that checkup in your life. To ask yourself, am I feeling headache or am I feeling chest pain? Am I feeling leg pain? Are my eyes blurry? What and and spiritually now, spiritually speaking now, to do that investigation. Um, of course, running against the word of God to see where you are. And then some of us might have to admit ourselves, you know, under the intensive care units at the end of these studies. All right. Some of us will have to be, go on drip for a couple of days. All right. Um, some of us will have to make adjustments to our lives. In fact, my desire is that at the end of this, every one of us find areas where we need to make adjustments. And the reason why I'm praying this is because once you are able to make adjustments regardless of, of how of how perfect you think your life is. 
if you are able to make adjustments, that means you are you are you are going to make improvements. Every growth comes with changes. All right, not every change represents growth, but you cannot grow without making adjustments or without making changes. So where there is growth, there's change. All right, and my desire is that we find areas where we need to change at the end of this um series so that we can accommodate growth. Praise God. Okay, so let's look at this from from the scriptural perspective. Um, first of all, First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse thirty-two. All right, I'm going to first read this from the uh, King James version, and then I'm, I will read this from the Amplified. All right, so let's turn our Bibles to First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse thirty-one and thirty-two. All right verse 31 and verse 32 first corinthians chapter 11 all right so this is what it says and um this was paul paul speaking in a in a broader context but i i am zeroing in on these two verses because uh it captures what we are uh, what we want to communicate tonight so verse 31 says for if we judge ourselves i'm reading king james version first if we judge ourselves we should not be judged but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So Paul says we should judge ourselves. And this poses a responsibility on yourself. And I want to, stay, to state at this point that the essence of this um, study we are embarking on, of, of the essence of this journey we are embarking on, is not so that you are able to find faults in your in your neighbor, on your friends, on your wife or husband or brother or sister. No, the essence of this study is for you to judge yourself, is to take yourself against the standard that you hold other people up to, and then honestly give yourself a score and find areas that you that require improvement all right and for some areas it, this study will be an encouragement to you maybe something you have been doing all along and then um this will just be an affirmation of that thing from scriptures for you to continue okay but first and foremost it is for you not first for any other person not for you to use as a filter or as a lens to begin to observe others no this is first and foremost for you as a person. So Paul here says, for if we judge ourselves, in other words, if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. Second thing I want to state is that this is this study is not an opportunity for self-condemnation. No, absolutely no. The spirit of God does not condemn. He corrects and convicts, but he does not condemn. So this is not an opportunity for you to say, oh, what have I been doing with my life? Um, I've just wasted my, my, my life and I call myself a Christian and you bury your head down. No, no, no. This is not an opportunity for condemnation. This is an opportunity for conviction and correction by the Holy Spirit. All right. And this is, I, this is not what you can achieve on your own. And my prayer is that the Holy Ghost guides you and shines his light on the areas that he wants you to correct and areas you know he wants you to improve on as the case may be so it says for we if we judge ourselves we shall we should not be judged now i just want to clarify something here around judgment because when we talk about judgment there are different contexts of judgment um in fact if we talk about judgment what many people would um have in mind is the judgment day where god judges between sinners and and believers or between um, unbelievers and believers as right um that's not the judgment we're talking about we're talking about the judgment that god periodically brings in our lives as a way of correcting us and bringing us into alignment with him and what the bible is saying is that before god even comes to judge you and correct you if you are responsible enough to judge yourself you will not need that judgment from god and look at what he says verse 32 uh, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So it this is in layers. So the first layer is you judging yourself, meaning calling yourself to order and, and examining yourself. You know, I my, I was speaking with my 
spiritual father some this was some years ago we were together and he was going on a three days retreat right and he said to me that these kind of retreats are very important and he he was going alone just personal retreat alone <clears throat> and he says these kind of retreats are important because he's able to check himself and know if he's in alignment with the instructions God has given to him and see the level of obedience that he has carried out and see the areas he needs to make adjustments on. Now, this is not, it was not God that says, oh, go on a retreat. No, it was himself that decided to go on a retreat for the purpose of a reflection on his level of alignment with the instructions God has given to him, checking his life against godly standards, against God's standard for, he, for himself, all right, so that he can make corrections. And this is what I'm talking about, that the purpose of this, you know, study so that you can take time out and check your life and see what are those areas I need to make adjustments on. So when we talk about the, the judgment, so the first layer of judgment is you, all right, checking your life and by the, by the lens of the Holy Ghost, looking at yourself and say, ah, the way I'm speaking to my husband or the way I'm speaking to that, my colleague or the way I'm speaking to my wife, I need to change it. Or you look at yourself and say, the way I've been, I've been reading the word of God, I will not grow at this pace. Or you look at yourself and say, I'm not giving as much as I know in my heart I should give. So this is, this is the first level of judgment, all right? Where you by yourself, you, 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 I mean, when I say by yourself, I mean with the help of the Holy Spirit, look at different areas of your life and you say to yourself, I need to make corrections here. I need to increase, increase this here. I need to reduce this. Maybe you need to reduce the amount of time on social media. Maybe you need to reduce the amount of movies you watch in a week, in a day, in a month or whatever. Maybe you need to reduce the amount of time you spend talking. For some of you, you just talk a lot and then God is beginning to put, bring your attention to that and say, and, and, and this happens when you, when you stay with the Holy Ghost to check the areas of your life. For some of you, the amount of money you are giving as offering every Sunday, you need to change it. You know God has blessed you with that beyond that amount. And all of these things will come to your awareness when you take out time to judge yourself, all right? So when we talk about judgment here, this is not a judgment to condemnation. It's a judgment to correction, all right? So that's the second thing I wanted to point out from this verse of scripture. So let's go back. We're reading... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 and 32. Let me read this from the Amplified Version, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, sorry, verse 31 and 32. The Bible says, For if we searchingly examine ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition, so remember, this starts from you. And, and I wanted to explain. I didn't finish explaining the layers, all right? So the first layer is that it starts from you. But if you keep ignoring, and, and you know, the Holy Ghost is so faithful that he, he nudges us in our hearts when the areas we need to correct, okay? Um, sometimes it might be, let me take, for example, the way you treat people, all right? And the Holy Ghost nudges you and say, the way you spoke to that person to that gardener to that security person uh to the driver the way he spoke to him or her you it's not nice you need to call that person and apologize and you say um no 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 don't worry now he's he's he's, he's used to it or she's used to it or you say they know how i talk in my office they know that when i'm angry i just say my mind they are used to it and you ignore the prompting of the holy spirit in your heart now if you continue doing that what will happen is the next layer where God himself will now judge you. Meaning that the correction you should have made on your own and you refuse to make it, God would impose that correction on you. And remember that the judgment of God is, the aim of the judgment of God is to lead to repentance. And like I said earlier, this judgment is not a judgment to condemnation. This is not where God separates the sheep from the goats. No, this is a judgment that God brings in your life to bring you into alignment. And so the first layer is that you make that alignment yourself as the Holy Spirit floods it up in your spirit. But then if you ignore it and you post postpone it or you give a reason and, a, and, a, and an excuse for it, what will happen is that God will create circumstances that would bend you or break you into alignment. 
And this is the judgment of God. Now, these circumstances will not crush you. Nope. There would be periods of, of momentary pain or discomfort, right? Such that it will bring you into alignment by force. Let's say, for instance, um, somebody is, God has been nudging someone, right? Um, about, about obedience, you know, about yielding their hearts or yielding their, 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 let's say, yielding their finances to him. And God has been nudging the person, but the person has been thinking in his heart and saying, well, I work for my money. I decide how my money will be spent. I spend my money the way I want to. And God is nudging this person. And just so you know, the judgment of God is an act of love. Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, we'll read that shortly, that God chastises those he loves. So you know what? I'll continue my analogy, but let me finish reading this verse 32 so you understand what, where I'm going to. Um, let's finish verse 31, Amplified Classic. It says, for if we certainly examine ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition, we should not be judged and penalty decreed by the divine judgment. So there's a divine judgment that comes where you don't judge yourself. Verse 32, but when we fall short and are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined and chastened. So the judgment of God is discipline and chastisement. And, you know, this, this particular topic is a topic in the, in the sphere of maturity. And what I mean by this is that we need to, we need to grow beyond just, you know, you know, I, I hear believers say, and it is very true, oh, that God loves me the way I am. Or, or you or say something like, oh, God is not angry with me. And that is perfectly true. God is not angry with you in the sense that he is not, he doesn't wake up looking for ways to, to hit you or, or to punish you. He doesn't delight in seeing you suffer. That is absolutely true. However, many Christians define God's love by a, by human definition of pampering. You know, when you see a, a mother give a child whatever the child wants, we typically end up saying, wow, that mother really loves the child. But is that really, really true? If a mother or a parent gives a child anything they want, is that real expression of love? The obvious answer is no. And so in the same way, God loves you, but his expression of love is not always comfortable. And this is where we need to come to terms with the disciplines and the and the dealings of God, if we are going to grow into maturity, that if God is not, is, you know, prompting you to make correction in an area and you don't make that correction, the next thing he will do is what the Bible says here, that he says we are disciplined and chastened. God will chasten you again, not to punish you, but to bring you into alignment. And, and this is the difference between uh, punishment or, or the attack of the devil right, versus the chastening of God. The chastening of God is always from a place of love to bring us into alignment with his will. And the reason why he's even keen on bringing us into alignment with his will is because he loves us. If he didn't love us, he would have let us alone and would have gone astray into destruction. All right, think of a kite, um, all right, a, a kite that is just flying in the air. The kite typically has a, a thread or a rope attached to it. If the kite says, oh, no, leave me, I want to be free, and loses from the, from the um, grip of that rope, what will happen is that the kite will be taken away by the wind and will end up where it cannot be found again. And the owner of that kite, out of love for the kite, holds the kite down in, in alignment by that rope. So it's the same thing that God does for us, that when he sees we are not yielding to the to the um, um, promptings of his spirit in our hearts, what he does is that he disciplines and chastises us. Now, how does the discipline of God or the chastisement of God look like? All right? The discipline of God and or chastisement of God can take different forms, um, but usually it comes through people, number one, and number two, through circumstances. Meaning that if God... <laughs> If God wants to teach you, for instance, how to be patient, all right, and he has been nudging you your heart all along and you've not, you've not made that correction by yourself, what will happen is that 
He will send somebody in your life that would really test your patience and in such a way that you don't have any other option but to be patient. All right. So let's say, for instance, for just as an example, he changes your boss in the, in the office, right? And then this, your boss doesn't even tolerate your impatience at all. And you want to throw a tantrum and your boss is clamping you down and doesn't allow you to do what you used to do before, all right? Or maybe you have a client, for instance, that is your biggest paying client, but the client just has a nasty attitude. And you know that if you lose that client, your business will not survive three months. That situation will discipline you into patience. So the patience that God has been telling you to be patient with your co-workers or with your staff, that you've not lent that patience. He now brings in someone that would he would use as an instrument to teach you patience by force. Or he brings you into a situation or he allows you to come into a situation where you don't have any other option but to be patient. Now, this is the chastisement of God. And again, the chastisement of God, like I say, does not lead to the chastisement of god is not punishment it is a desire for god to bring you into alignment okay and this the, the chastisement of god is not usually god's first option no if you see somebody going through seasons of chastisement all right it is because the person neglected the nudgings of the spirit in his heart or in her heart and then they ended up in that condition and so take for instance someone god has been nudging the person be careful the way you're spending you're spending your money be careful you don't you can't spend your money recklessly you need to save you need to budget you need to do all of that and the person ignores the nudging of the holy spirit in his heart god would allow the person get into a situation and 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 it's not in, in fact it is a consequence of his actions all right god will let the person witness the consequence of his actions such that he gets to a point where he does not have as much money as he used to have before. One, because his spending habits have been terrible. And number two, because God has not seen him faithful for increasing finances. So God will not bring that increase that the person is desiring because there's no history of faithfulness. And so this person goes, goes through a temporal season of, of chastisement, financial chastisement, where the person learns by force how to how to handle finances and so somebody's saying victor this thing you are saying prove it to me let me show you something from from hebrews all right just so you know that the dealings of god that leads to maturity are not always are not palatable um i want to read something to us from the book of hebrews um hebrews uh just a minute let me find the exact verse and chapter all right where it talks about um jesus authored uh salvation um via suffering all right um through the things he suffered if you can and uh, find it please just let me know i know it's in the book of hebrews just one okay okay all right, good. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Yes, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. It says, To make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and, sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are of one, and for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brother, and goes on and on. But my, my point is that he says he made the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering. So if Jesus, right, could be perfected through the things he suffered, then how much more us, all right, especially when we don't even yield to the initial nudges of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, okay? So I, I read all of this and I've said all of this just to give context to the judgment of God and to show you, to show you the, the process and the uh, layers of, obedience that that or layers of judgment rather that we go through so like i said number one it's you judging yourself meaning we are making adjustments as the holy spirit makes as holy spirit prompts in your heart but number two is if you don't make those adjustments then god will have to discipline you or chastise you and i know that this is the concept of discipline is not something that is popularly preached about 
but it is the reality of scriptures. Um, I said we're going to read the book of Hebrews, and we'll do that in a, in a moment. But it is it is the reality of God's dealings that God would let us go through certain dealings if we have not made those corrections in our lives, not because he hates us or wants to punish us, because he has to correct us and bring us into alignment for us to experience a greater level of glory, all right? And so my advice to you is don't wait until you are chastened of the Lord. Go for the first option. At the moment the Holy Spirit brings something to your notice, make the correction immediately so you don't need to be chastened by God. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, Hebrews chapter 11. All right, just a minute. Let me turn there. Hebrews chapter 11, and we see what the Bible says. We see what the Bible says. Oh, Hebrews chapter 12, I beg your pardon. Um, Is that? Okay, yeah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse... You know what? Let me let's start reading from verse one because most times when we quote this scripture, we tend to quote only the beginning part and we leave the rest alone. But let's start from verse from verse one. So it says, "Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily be so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us." Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. So this is a, this first two verses are very common amongst us. But look at what he says in verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. I need to explain this to us. The Bible says we should consider him, meaning we should pay attention to the person, to this person, right, who endured such hostility and cruelty from sinners. And the reason why the Bible says we should consider Jesus Christ is, be, is so that we will not be weary in our souls or we should not be discouraged in our souls. Verse 4 says you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. So there's an exhortation that is to sons. You know, there's an exhortation that is to, to babies, <clears throat> but there's an exhortation that is to sons. The exhortation of this exhortation that is to sons or the charge or the encouragement that is given to sons is different from the encouragement given to children or to babies. For instance, <clears throat> a, 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 a parent who has a child in the university, <clears throat> for instance, one minute, please. A parent who has a child <clears throat> in the university and has another child in elementary school or in primary school, right? In let's say year three. If the child in year three comes to the, to the father and complains of, of school, the father will take the child, cuddle the child and says, oh, don't worry. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get you ice cream. You know, don't worry. You know, I love you. Take care. Just don't school. Be fine. Let me help you with your assignment and all of that. But a child who is in university, if the child calls the father to say, oh, daddy, school is tough. The encouragement that the father will give the son is not the encouragement of, oh, come let me buy you ice cream. No, the encouragement will sound something like, you know, this is how great men are made. Are made. Be strong. Hold on to onto this. It's just a few years left. Um, 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 you know, be diligent. Don't let the pressure overwhelm you. You can make it do this. And that is the kind of encouragement that the father would give to that child because of the maturity level. So it is in the same way that verse four is verse five, rather, of Hebrews chapter 12 says, This charge or this exhortation is given to sons not to babies, not to, to children, not to um, young stars. This is the encouragement to sons. So look at the kind of encouragement. He says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. You can imagine the kind of encouragement he's giving to sons. Talking about the chastening of the Lord, how you should not despise it. 
all right, and you should not be discouraged by it. Meaning that if you so happen to be in a situation that is the chastisement of the Lord, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So the one of the proofs proof of God's love for you is that he corrects you. And this correction starts first from the um, nudging of the Holy Spirit in your heart, all right? When he, he, he corrects you and says, the way you spent this money to buy that, that cloth or buy that dress, you can't keep spending money like that because you're a kingdom financier. Or he says, the way you are speaking to people when you speak to people when you're angry, you can't keep speaking to people like that because I want to put my words in your mouth. That is the beginning of God's um or, or God's correction, God's nudging. But if then you fail to make the adjustments, what he does is he brings people or situations into your life that would bend you into alignment, you know? Um, okay, I believe that's clear enough. Let me not dwell on that for so long. All right, so let us move further. Uh, I believe this has been emphasized enough. And and I want us to move further to look at James chapter 3, verse 10. I've established the fact that um, we need to examine ourselves and we just spent some time from 1 Corinthians 11 to look at the layers of disciplines. First, God, you judge yourself uh, so that you will not be judged. And if you don't do that, next is that God judges you. And the reason why God judges you, I, I, please let's go back to 1 Corinthians so we can conclude on that is found in that same uh, verse 32 it says but when you are when we are judged we are chastened by the lord that we may not be condemned with the world so the condemnation that happens with the world god doesn't want us to be a part of that condemnation and what he does for us is that he he judges us meaning he brings us into alignment through external situations or people so that we don't fall into the category of people that are condemned and that is the people of the world so you see understand god's god's thinking and god's expression of love when he judges us all right is so that we will not be condemned with the world which is now the you know the final judgment where god separates believers from unbelievers and then their unbelievers are judged to condemnation whereas God doesn't want us to be part of that, so he judges us so that we don't fall into that condemnation group, okay? All right, so let's move on to James chapter 3, verse 10, uh, 10 to 12. James chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. And I'm re reading this scripture to show us why it is important for us to look at the signs of a healthy spirit. Um, We haven't started looking at it yet, but I, what I'm doing now is to give us foundation to why this is important and how we should approach these things. I can just go ahead to list it out and we'll be, we'll be done, you know, in the next 10 minutes. But I want to see the foundation of this and so that as we go step by step into this study, we can understand God's idea for why this is important to us. So James chapter 3, verse 10 to verse 12. It says, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, be bear olives, olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. So in context, um, James was speaking about the tongue and the use of the tongue and all of that. Um, but we also see a lot of, find a lot of significance in the things we just read in verse 10 to verse 12 because of how it applies directly to this study. So first off is that the reason why we are looking at these signs and, you know, signs of a healthy spirit is so that we can make adjustments to our life. And these things typically have an outward expression. All right. Now, we know that we are not saved. And we're going to come to that soon. We know that we're not saved by our works, but our works reflect our salvation. And so James here is saying that 
um, out of the, there, there's, there's a problem. It's almost like saying, I, I don't get it. I'm seeing two things coming out from one source and it's ought not to be. So James here is saying, out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursing. And cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And there are things in our lives that ought not to be so. And which is why we want to do this study. Uh, there are things when you look at your life, you say, no, 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 this ought not to be so. Uh, just like uh, uh, James here is saying to us, there are areas of your life where if you do an honest review by the Holy Spirit, you look and you say, no, 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 this thing ought not to be so. I need to make amendments. And this, again, like I said, is not a condemnation. It's a call to correction and conviction by the Holy Ghost. So there are things that we, as we discuss, you look at and say, no, these things ought not to be so in my life. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a correction. Something needs to change in this area of my life. And it goes on to say, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Can or a grapevine bear fruits? All right, thus no, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now, what I want to emphasize in this verse 12 is the fact that when, jo when James wanted to highlight how our Christian life should be, he began to talk about what we bear. He did not talk about the, the state of the roots or how deep or wide or the color of the roots. No, he went to talk about the fruits, meaning the outward expression of what was inside. And this is super important for us because you, Jesus Christ says, by their fruits you shall know them. Meaning if you want to know a tree, just look at the fruit. You don't need to look at anything else. You need to look at the fruits. And it's in the same manner also that when you want to look at the state of your life or the state of your spiritual health, then you need to look at the fruits you are producing. You need to look at the fruits that are coming out of your life. Now, someone will say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. What's important is my relationship with God. And this is where you are able to differentiate between mature believers and, um, and baby believers, all right? Or immature believers. Immature believers typically sound like this. It's, it's between me and God. I don't, it doesn't matter what people say, you understand? Or they sound, they say things like, um, God knows I love him and that's what, what, and that's what's important. And that is true, but that is not the complete truth, all right? Yes, your relationship with God is between you and God. However, your relationship with God will and must have outward fruits that reflect the quality of relationship you so profess. All right? Please give me one minute. Um, there's some sound coming from outside. Let me just uh, shut the windows. All right. So, like I was saying, that's how you differentiate baby believers from, you know, mature believers. That baby believers think whatever I do doesn't matter. I don't, you know, I don't care what people say. It's between me and God. But mature believers know that their work with God has and has fruits. All right. And just like a tree, people eat the fruits. People feed off the fruits. You understand that? So also, as you are you mature in God, you begin to realize that your relationship with God should bear fruits, and people will eat the fruits that you are you are producing. People will consume the fruits you are producing. So as a believer, how you talk, how you behave amongst other people, what you do, how you dress, uh, how you relate with people, these things are fruits, and other people consume the fruits that your life produces. All right. And this is exactly what James was focusing on in verse, verse 12. He says, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? So the question is, what are you bearing? And this is where we are taking our signs from, the things you are bearing, the things you are producing on the outside, all right? Not because your salvation is dependent on those things, but because your salvation is exemplified by those things. And if you claim you are a good tree. The only way the Bible tells us we can know if a tree is good is not by checking the leaves or by 
by opening the soil to look at the, the, the roots. No, the only way the Bible recommends we know if a tree is good or not is by looking at the fruits. So this lets us know that it what we bear outward, outwardly is super important. It is extremely important, not as a prerequisite for salvation, but as a measure of our salvation. Do you understand that? And the, again, like I said, we need to move away from baby Christianity where we say, where somebody comes and says, for instance, and, and, and I have to be careful now the example I use, or well, where somebody comes and says, for instance, that um, I went to a, a nightclub, and, but I still love God. It's my relationship is between me and God. What, my, what I did in nightclub does not affect my relationship between me and God. And I'm looking at you and you're like, I'm like, what are you really, really saying? Okay? Your fruits always reflect your salvation. And it's two things. It's either you have not come to understand what salvation really means, or maybe you are not really, really saved to start with. Okay? But we want to look at all of these things. And I'm, I'm, I'm laying emphasis on this just so we understand that our lives bear fruits. Okay? And again, the only way the Bible says we can check the quality of a tree is by the fruits. You now understand why Jesus Christ cursed the fig tree. The fig tree had so many leaves. The leaves were green, but we don't know a tree by its leaves. We know a tree by its fruits. Maybe the tree was tall. Maybe the tree was providing shade. Maybe the tree was, I don't know, whatever other parameter. But when Jesus Christ came, he did not find fruits on the tree. And many believers' lives are like that tree. They are green, you know, the leaves are green, the, the leaves are, the tree is well known, maybe they are popular, okay, uh, they, they talk about, they quote scriptures, they talk about it, but their lives don't produce the fruits that it should produce, all right? We only know a tree by, by its fruit, by what it bears, because people would always consume what you produce, what you bear, all right? So that's why this is why it's important for us to look at these external things or look at these manifestations or these things um, that are exemplified on the outside. Again, not because we are saved by our actions, but because our actions reflect our salvation. All right. So uh, I've quoted this, but let me just read it for us so we can take note of it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, all right, um, verse 33. Jesus Christ says, says this, says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruits. I want that to really sink inside. Because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of what I call inclusive Christianity that, that it seems to become more and more prominent in the world today. What I mean by inclusive Christianity is that we try to tell people that, oh, you're welcome into Christianity. We, are, we, oh, we love you, all right, the way you are, which is very true and which is valid. God loves you the way you are. He does never gives you a requirement for you to come to him. He just says, come the way you are. But God never leaves you the way you are. And so in our attempt to be inclusive Christians, we begin to condone and endorse certain, um, certain lifestyles that doesn't reflect the nature of our faith. And this is not, this is not um, in alignment with what the Bible says, because the Bible says you will know a fruit, you know a tree rather, by its fruits. So if the fruits were manifesting, meaning the things we are showing externally does not reflect our conviction, then we need to change. And this is what part of this part of what this study will do in our lives. All right. Okay. So I just a few just a few things to note here that we are not saved by works. We are not saved by works, but we are known by our works. Let me take that again. We are not saved by our works, but we are known by our works. Meaning, we don't need to do, it's not our holiness that would earn us salvation. No. Salvation comes because you believe in Jesus Christ, you accept him and you declare him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. That is the requirement for salvation. 
all right? You don't need to fast to be saved. You don't need to sow a seed to be saved. You don't need to do anything else other than receive Jesus Christ to be saved. However, once you are saved, your actions must change to correspond with the salvation that you have received. If not, there's a, there's a high and strong reason for us to doubt your salvation or to question your understanding of salvation, all right? So we are not saved by our works, but we are known by our works. Number two, <clears throat> still in the same vein, works are not the prerequisite for salvation, but they are the evidence of it. So it's still saying the same thing. Works are not the prerequisite for salvation, but they are the evidence of salvation. And I want to I want to emphasize something quickly before we wrap up. All right. So, like you can tell, today is just an introduction. Um, we're not going to we're not going to the details of those things yet. We'll start from next week. But I want to lay this foundation very, very well. All right. And let me close on by emphasizing something or just giving shedding light on, on, on a particular thing. You know, this issue of works and righteousness, salvation, it's super important for us to understand the balance. Because if you read the book of Romans, Paul was saying that, um, Paul was saying in essence that, that um, Abraham, <laughs> it's a very interesting, interesting um, thing. Abraham was not, did not become, did not end righteousness by his works. All right. But if you now come to the book of James, using the same example, the Bible, um, James lets us know that Abraham showed he was righteous by his works. So it's almost confusing, but it is not confusing, you know, because the Bible cannot contradict itself. But if you don't understand it clearly, it will look like the Bible is saying two different things at the same time, but no. So essentially what Paul was saying in Rome, in the book of Romans is that Abraham's um, righteousness wasn't imputed to him because of what he did. It was imputed to him solely because of faith in God. But James, on the other hand, is saying that the evidence of Abraham's righteousness was the actions that he did. And this is just me paraphrasing it. I'm re re resisting opening the scripture so we don't stay longer, all right? But you can read this in Romans chapter four and I think in James chapter, chapter two, I believe, all right? And the, it's just the dynamics between our works and righteousness. And why this is important, and this is why I'm emphasizing it, is because it is also the, the distinguishing factor between a, ba a baby Christian and a mature Christian. Look at what Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. All right, we're, we're closing up on this. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says that for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So, okay, look at verse 13. It says, for everyone who partakes only in milk. So milk is synonymous with babies, all right? It says, for everyone who partakes only in milk, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That means the people who partake in milk, the baby believers, they are baby believers because they are unskilled in the word of righteousness or in the message of righteousness or in the understanding of righteousness. Meaning our, how we understand righteousness really determines if we're skilled or not. All right? Or determines, so rather, if determines if we are matured or not. And the Baby believers, the Bible says, are those who are unskilled in the message of righteousness or in the understanding of righteousness. And one of the primary um, errors or primary mistakes that these people make is that they believe or they assume that because righteousness was or because their works or their conduct was not a prerequisite to, to righteousness, then it is no longer needed at all. And that is not correct. So from everything I've said, you know that um, your works, your conduct is not a prerequisite to righteousness. However, it is an evidence of it. And this is why we want to look at the signs of a healthy spiritual life. All right. And all of this I've said to, to, to explain to us that, explain to us why 
as we look at the seven signs, we will we'll look at activities you produce outwardly, okay? Not because you are saved by it, but because this is important to your Christian life, all right? Okay, so I hope this has just helped us lay a foundation for what we will begin to do next week. Um, for what we will we'll kick off fully next week. Um, but I, I want to ask us at this point, if we do have any questions from anything that I've said so far, or if it wasn't clear, um, I'll be happy to clarify anything that wasn't clear to you. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. I'll be happy to do that. So please, if you do have any questions um, or areas that anything I've said that isn't you know clear to you, please feel free to ask now. Um, I, while that is going on, I will just read to us seven the seven signs, and then from next week we'll go into them further. All right. So please be praying your questions or be typing your questions if you do have any. But while that is coming in, I want to read out. Let me just read out the seven signs of a healthy spirit. And this is not necessarily an exhaustive list, but I believe this covers major things in our lives. Number one is a healthy spirit is submitted to the authority of the written word. Number two, healthy spirit is quick to repent. Number three, um, healthy spirit fellowships with other believers. Number four, a healthy spirit has a heart of gratitude. Number five, a healthy spirit is yielded to the Holy Spirit. Number six, a healthy spirit is free of strife. And number seven, a healthy spirit is meek at heart. All right. So those are the seven things we'll look at starting from tomorrow. Oh, sorry, starting from next week. I beg your pardon. Okay, so please, any questions so far? Are we good to go? Um, you can give a thumbs up or like if you're on mix, Mixlr, uh, just so I know we are following together so far. All right. So while you're doing that, um, let's say a word of word of prayer as we close. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, fellowship together and hear your word. We ask that you help us to begin to make adjustments even in the areas of our lives that you would have us make those adjustments. Help us to, uh, to judge ourselves so that we will not have to be judged by you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. For in Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. All right. Thank you. I see your thumbs up on Mixelar. Thank you very much. Okay. So we will continue this next week. Uh, same time, that 7 p.m. Uh, West African time on Nigerian time and on, on Mixelar and on Zoom just as we typically do, okay? Do have a wonderful, uh, wonderful evening or remaining part of your day. God bless you. This podcast or this rather session will be played on our podcast and we'll share the link to the group and, you know, across all our platforms. All right, so God